Well, good morning again. Um, I am excited to be able to uh, once again bring uh, God's Word to us this morning. Um, it's been some time since I have, and uh, that's not because uh, a lack of opportunity, but that's just because it's a lot, um, especially um, with all of the music side of things and, and whatnot. But um, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I want to just tell you, uh, a few uh, Sundays ago, a few weeks ago, it's probably been longer than that, time doesn't mean anything anymore during the pandemic. This seems to always um, fly by. But sometime back, um, Pastor Emily and Pastor Janice shared a bit, um, and I wanted to take an opportunity to do so as well. But I just want you to know um, that as a pastor on staff here at Calvary, I love all of you. I, I, am, I am thankful for you. I am thankful for the community that we share. Um, I want you to know that, that I, as well as the rest of the pastoral staff here at Calvary, are here for you. For anything that you might need, um, we are here. Uh, for prayer, um, for just talking, um, just being in community, we are here for you. As I start this morning, I want to share with you one thought. We have missed the point. We've missed the point. I want to start out this morning reading to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verses 1 through 13. That is the whole chapter, um, but I want to read that to you, and you will see this uh, on your screen. It says this, now about food sacrifice to you, idols. Uh, a few uh, Sundays ago, a few weeks ago, it's probably been longer than that. Time doesn't mean after. Um, but I want to read that to you, and you will see this. It's just replaying. I don't know what that was. Anybody? No? Okay. Wow. Um, because, what's that? Yeah. Uh, so in case one of me was not enough, you get to hear me talk twice. Um, let me start over. I assume that we are all still good on the live stream. Um, if we're not, I'm sorry. All right. I'm getting word that we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Wow, that's weird. Um, it says this, Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols then. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry, idolatry up until now 
that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. So again, I say, we've missed the point. You might think that this scripture is about meat. It isn't. You might think that this scripture is about the rules of faith. It isn't. You might think that this scripture is about those with knowledge and those without. It isn't. It is a little bit, so, but also, it isn't. Have I confused you yet? (laughs) Let's set the stage for where we are in this scripture. This is a letter from Paul to the church in the city of Corinth, a church he had planted probably around five years earlier. The city of Corinth was very much a pagan city. In fact, the entire worldview of that city would have been focused on paganism. The visual appearance of the city was dominated by pagan symbols, and the normal mindset of an average person in town was dominated by pagan ideas, hopes, motivations, and practices. So as I was reading this scripture, and as I was trying to imagine living in a town in a city uh, that is completely dominated by one thing, I was trying to come up with, okay, what could I liken that to in today's world? And and I thought about big cities, and I thought about little towns, and, and I just couldn't come up with a place until I realized Disney World. (laughs) Disney World is absolutely dominated by one thing. So I I, I want to explain this a little bit, but but hang with me, because this is not a statement on the morality of Disney. I'm going to take some descriptive liberties here, But this is all just an exercise in setting the stage. So, the visual appearance of the city was dominated by pagan symbols. So in in Corinth, we would have seen uh, imagery of many idols and gods all over the place. At Disney, we see Mickey and Minnie, Pluto, Donald, Goofy, Cinderella, Snow White, etc. What you might say are many idols or gods. Just an exercise in setting the stage. The normal Corinth mindset was dominated by pagan ideas, hopes, motivations, practices. In Corinth, the temple would have been the center of everything. At Disney, we have Cinderella's castle. Are you following? In Corinth, we would have had animal sacrifices. At Disney... 
mouse kebabs? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Maybe the metaphor is breaking down a bit, but suffice to say that Disney is overwhelmingly Disney, while Corinth was overwhelmingly pagan. At this time, there likely would have been a large Jewish population in Corinth, uh, just as most other cities around the Mediterranean. Imagine this Jewish community in the midst of all of this. People that don't believe in anything that the Corinthians believe. They absolutely reject the many pagan gods and idols as evil, but believe their God, the one true God. These people would be trying to find a way in the midst of all things pagan. And so we're in this scripture. We have this, this place that is overwhelmingly pagan. Uh, and, and we have this one focus of Corinthians 8. And in this specific example, we are dealing with meat. As I said before, we've missed the point. Because while the question in the letter and, and Paul's response is asking and dealing with idol meat, there's something deeper. In Corinth, the pagan temple was also the marketplace and the restaurant. Any meat available in the temple would have been given as a sacrifice to a pagan idol. Once that sacrifice was made, the priests and worshipers would eat what they wanted, and then, finally, any remaining meat would be sold to the community. Now, as I said earlier, the temple was the center of everything. It was also the marketplace. It was also the restaurant. And so the temple would have been the only place where anyone in Corinth could have purchased meat. So the Jewish people seem to have only two options for living in this world. The first group, let's call them the the toe-the-line group, This group believes that all pagan worship is idolatry and any contact with it in any way is sinful. The result of this belief is to withdraw from contact with the world and withdraw into their community. But this went against all their beliefs. This went against their belief in the goodness of creation. The second group is the loosey-goosey group. This group believes that idols are non-existent and irrelevant, and the meat couldn't have been sacrificed because the idols aren't real anyway. The result of this group is a danger of assimilation into pagan beliefs, leaving their own beliefs, their beliefs of a one true God, leaving their faith and their community. Now imagine planting a church in the middle of all of this. That's where we find ourselves in this scripture. These early Christians, just like their Jewish counterparts, were trying to find a balance between the option of withdrawing into their own community, cutting off the outside, and assimilating into beliefs that were not theirs. The early Christians believed in the goodness of creation and one true God, the same as the Jewish people. So those at the church in Corinth were trying to decide which was the best option when Paul reveals a third way. In verse 4 through 8, 
says this. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to the idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to God, to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Now, there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot of cool stuff. And, and as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I was trying to decide what I was going to talk about because there's just so much that I don't have time for at all. And so I don't want to lose focus on what we're talking about this morning. Because in that scripture, in verses 4 to 8, Paul is reminding the people of the church in Corinth of the incarnational love of God in Christ. He is adjusting their perspective away from an individual view to a Christ view. You see, these people just wanted to eat the meat because it's not a real thing, these idols, so let's just eat because there's only one place we can get the meat and, and we want the meat, so let's just eat it. Paul knows that these early Christians are living in a place that bombards them with many things dangerous to their faith. Paul understands the nuance here. He knows that the loosey-gooseys are correct because they are. The problem is they don't see how they're wrong. But Paul does. And in verse 9, he reminds them of what Christ calls them to, what Christ calls all of us to. He reveals to them Jesus' reality of love. Verses 9 through 13 say this, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. He adjusts their perspective to include Christ. The thing is, and Paul says it, that they can eat the meat. It's not a problem. But he says, there are those that don't have that same knowledge, that haven't received freedom in the way that you have 
in this. And so what are we to do for those people? So he calls on the people of Corinth to lay aside their rights, to come alongside the weak, and to love. Are we still missing the point or are we getting it now? Christ sacrificed everything. He laid his rights aside to come alongside the weak. That's us. To love. He didn't have to do that. He could have stayed in heaven just as the, the, the people at the church in Corinth could have just eaten the meat. It wouldn't have been wrong, but it wouldn't have been best. This sequence in Scripture reveals something that had been hidden. It was hidden to these early Christians. It was hidden to those in the Jewish faith. and was hidden to the pagans. But Paul reveals this hidden thing in the very first verse of this chapter. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I enjoy tinkering, doing many different things, building little things, whatever. I enjoy having projects to work on. I enjoy working with my hands. And so over the years, I have, I've gained little tidbits of information here and there about different things. And so I, I have a hand in a lot of things. I, I understand the very beginnings of many different areas from electronics to woodworking to um, music to preaching to scripture, all of these things, I, I have a hand in all of these things. And what I like to tell people when they ask me if I know how to do something, I always answer this way and I, I believe this. This is not just a joke, it is the humble truth. I know enough to get me into trouble meaning that I know enough to, to break open a small electronics part and start messing with wires, and, and I can kind of troubleshoot a little bit, but I don't know where the danger lies. I know that there are things called capacitors that if you touch them wrong, they will end your day in a very bad note. And so I keep that in the back of my mind anytime I'm doing things. Uh, like I said, woodworking, I have a table saw, and I know that that thing can take my finger off in an instant. But I still use it. I still push wood through it. And there is a point at which I don't know the dangers that are there. And so it's always keeping that in the back of our minds. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge gives me the confidence to say, yeah, I know how to do that. But love builds up. See, that's the difference. It's great to know how to do things. It's great to have the knowledge. But if we aren't willing to stop and slow down and look to the other, we'll miss out on actually building people up. Love is the reality that Jesus Christ came to reveal. 
In just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And the worship team, if you guys would, would come up and start to get ready. This song is, is about seeing the unseen. It's about opening our minds to what God has for us. It's about turning our eyes to see what Christ is doing time and time again. And I love this song. And you all know this song. If you've, if you've attended here for long, you'll, you'll know this song. But the thing that gets me in this song is the bridge. Every single time it gets me. It says this, Now I know, I have seen your glory that cannot be unseen. I am changed and changing still as I look upon you, Lord, and believe. And so to me, as we are singing those words, what I am feeling, what I am experiencing is the love of God that has been revealed in my life. I'm experiencing a love that is beyond anything I could possibly imagine. I'm experiencing a love that I don't deserve. And that's, I think, what Paul is saying here. That we have the knowledge something has been revealed to us. But are we willing to love so that we can show what that something is? Because it would be easy just to say, well, I know that's a thing. I know God's love is real in my life, so I'm just going to go on and do all of these things. Friends, I have tremendous freedom in my life, as I'm sure that you do, over things that, that don't have any bearing anymore because of Jesus. I would never in a million years think to tell someone who doesn't have that same knowledge, that same freedom, that they can do whatever they want, the same as me, if they don't have it. That's not to say someone is, is I, I am beyond somebody else. That, that's not what this is at all. But it's a realization that I can live my life in a way that, that pleases me in my knowledge or I can live my life in a way that will bring others along. Because if I'm living an individual life, what I am doing is being selfish. It is not bringing others along. It is not sharing the love of Christ. It is not revealing the hidden reality of love. And so Christ calls us each and every day to lay aside those rights, to lay aside that knowledge and live with eyes that are focused on him so that others might see and so that others might know. We're going to sing this song and then I'm going to come and talk a little bit more. But as we sing, I want you to keep that idea in mind that there is a hidden 
reality of love. It's not hidden because God doesn't want us to find it. It's hidden because we live in a world that is completely opposite of it. So God, we we come to you having seen your love and your glory. But God, we, we don't want to miss the point even now. So God, our prayer is not just that you would help us to live our lives in a way that, that takes the other into account. But our prayer is that what you would do in our lives is help us to keep our eyes open to what you are doing, open to the ways that you are working, open to what is going on around us. So God, in these next few moments, I pray that you would speak to us, that we might hear from you, that we might understand and know. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I shared a moment ago, I enjoy tinkering and and I always answer, I know enough to get me into trouble. I do that for a very specific reason. It's because I want to learn. I want to get better. And it's really easy to, to keep that idea, that thought compartmentalized into just the things I like to do as a hobby. But I think it's more important than that. That we as, as Christians, that we as followers of Christ cannot, under any circumstances, think that we have figured it all out. Do you remember the two options the early Christians had? One was to withdraw from the community and cut off, and the other was to assimilate into the pagan beliefs and lose their faith in Christ. Both of these options were bad, but those weren't the only options. As we saw, Paul came in and revealed to them another way. And I I want to share with you today that there is another option. Because we as humans have a hard time seeing the whole picture at times. We've missed the point. Many things can stop us from seeing. There is a concept called dualism. Dualism is a bad thing for us. It's one of the main things that can stop us from seeing the whole picture. You see, dualism is a thought pattern that requires an either-or argument. So, for instance, the options that the early Christians were dealing with 
were either or. For the toe the line group, it was that's idolatry, that's either idolatry or seclusion. For the loosey gooseys, it was either eat the meat or assimilate. And we can't help, generally, we can't help but fall into that trap of dualism. But I want you to know and understand that that dualism is not what God has for us. N.T. Wright, in his book, The New Testament in Its World, I I think that's the title, um, says this, in regards to eating the meat and, and the decision that these people had to make. Um, recent converts might want nothing to do with the whole business of eating meat. Paul sees through their dualism and sees that dualism is almost as bad as paganism itself. He therefore lays down the principle to which he returns at the end of chapter 10. There is no God but one, and everything created by God is good and to be received with thanksgiving. You see, because chapter 8, Paul comes around and and teaches us this of, of don't eat meat if it's possible that it will cause someone to stumble. And in verse 9, he he goes on to talk about the ways that he has sacrificed as an individual. But what he does in that that time in chapter 9 is he never places that as a requirement on the body at large. What he does say is that this is what I have found for me. This is what I have found works for me. This is what I have found Christ calling me to. And then we move into verse 10. And there's, once again, there's a lot going on here, and I don't want to uh, miss anything. And so, for reals, you need to be reading this stuff on your own. You need to be looking at different sources. I was just having a conversation this morning with one of our worship tech people asking a question about Scripture. And they asked what I thought about that. And, and I didn't, my brain has been a hundred different places today. And so I didn't have an answer. But what I, I encouraged this person to do is, is go out and find a commentary. Find one that you know you will disagree with and read it. Find one you know you will agree with and read it. We as Nazarenes, we are of the Wesleyan tradition. Wesley had a saying, via media the middle way. It's, it's looking at life, the extremes, the extremes, and finding the middle way. But back to verse 10. Paul has been explaining all of the dangers, right, in verse 8, of, of eating this food sacrificed to idols. But in verse 8, we, we saw that, that he thought it's not a big deal. I mean, he says that um, but he doesn't say that, that there's no danger in it. And so in verse 10, he, he comes around, and he's talking about the different times throughout the, the faith 
the people of God and the ways that they have found that danger in a bad way. As they've been pushing forward the, the cause of God, the kingdom of God. He was very quick to point out that there are some that we have lost, some that did assimilate, some that did fall to idolatry. But he doesn't say, don't do that ever again, because that would be dualism. You see, for, for Paul to say, well, we lost a few people, and, and we've seen over history that this is a bad thing, and, and, and people might fall away from faith, so we can't do it. That's an either or. That's, well, either we don't do this, or we lose people. A non-dual way of thinking would be both and. So a non-dual way of thinking about chapter 8 is what we see come forth in chapter 10. You see, Paul has been talking about these different meals, uh, Passover and the Eucharist, and he's talking about all of these different things that are going on, these, these traditional things in faith. And he comes to the point that says, essentially, pagans have their meals, their celebratory meals, but so do we. <laughs> we as Christians have seen the hidden reality of love that God provides, that Christ provides. And he says, we have a meal as well. And he begins to talk about the Eucharist, and he begins to talk about how as, as a body we come together and we receive from one cup, one blood, one loaf of bread, and so he's beginning to reveal to these people of Corinth, to the Lucy Gooseys, and to the toe the line, that there is more to this than just which one of us is right. And so he says to the toe the line people, essentially, not, it's not spelled out, but he begins to, to explain this. Chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's the key here to me. You might read that and think, well, he says everything is permissible, right? We, we got that in chapter 8, but not everything is beneficial, right? We got that as well. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive, right? Got it. But then he, he shifts the focus. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What he's revealing to us is that eat every, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, not everything is constructive. He's revealing to us that, that that thought played out into, I can't ever eat this meat because someone else beside me might stumble. He's revealing that that can become a spot 
that we will think in a way of dualism. And that is not what Christ has brought to us. I don't say that to say that, well, we'll just get over it. Toe the line, people, just get over it. No, Christ, uh, Paul revealing this is, is showing us that Christ is calling us, even the toe the line people, to grow. And he's, he's calling us to that because there is more work to be done. Sure, it is a wonderful thing for us uh, to, to not eat the meat and to allow those around us to not stumble, to, to not be in the way of that. But then Paul continues. He says, if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, don't eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for that man's conscience. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is the point. There are lines that we as believers have drawn in the sand. And for many of those lines, they are good things. Don't get me wrong. And, and Paul is not saying, get rid of all the lines. That's not at all what is happening here. But he is saying is that Christ calls us not to say either or. Christ calls us to both and. Christ calls us to say, right, we've drawn this line in the sand because we have decided as, as a people, as, as faith people, as a community, that this is somewhere that we cannot go. That would be the either or, so we can't go past the line, so all of those other people we don't care about. That's the either or. But what Paul is revealing to us is that Christ says, those people beyond that line are valuable to me. I, I want to be very careful and I want you to understand that I am not at all advocating for a loosey-goosey lifestyle. Like I said, there are lines in place that are important and there are lines in place that we absolutely cannot cross. But it is the thought, the idea that locks us down. And so we have to be able, as Christ followers, we have to be able to say, Christ, what do you have for us? And this is not just a, a thing that I'm going to think in my own head. That's why we have a community. Because if I have a thing and I'm like, Christ is leading me to this. I need to go to other people that I trust to say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. 
what I am seeing in this scripture in, in chapter 8 and then into chapter 10 is, is simply this. Don't lock yourself out. Don't go so far to say this is the line. We will not cross it. That in doing so, we have completely alienated someone. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Carrie, or maybe it was last week, Pastor Carrie was preaching and, and she used this idea, this, this wisdom people idea, right? And how we are to go to our wisdom people. And that as we discuss things with our community, we will realize that the word of God does not contradict itself. And so we must go to our community to say this is what I feel Christ is leading me to can you help me wisdom person can you help me to see and understand and know what Christ is leading does that make sense I know you're not here in the room just nod your heads and say yes or no but I, I hope it does because let me tell you the, the idea of locking a whole culture out because it's beyond the line that we have drawn in the sand is dangerous. Drawing that line turns us into something that we aren't. To quote N.T. Wright again, this time from uh, one of his papers um, titled, One God, One Lord, One People, Incarnational Christology for a Church in a Pagan Environment. That's a mouthful. N.T. Wright says it this way. A spirituality that does not contain at least the possibility of such an attitude stands under the warning that though professing Christianity, it may in fact have embraced some form of paganism. Insisting on one's rights as I read that, insisting on the line that we've drawn, even insisting on one's rights as a Christian is a sign that something else other than the true God is being worshipped. Guys, I don't want to be in that group. I want to live my life in a way that, that on this side, I can say I am going to help the believer who does not have the same knowledge that I do, that does not have the same freedom that is provided by Christ. I want to help that person. And so I'm not going to do this thing. But then I I want to also have that and statement of I am going to both help this person and live out in the world. I am going to go to a meal and maybe the meat there came from a sacrificed idol. I can eat that. It's okay. If I know, if the person serving it says, this meat was sacrificed, that's where I draw the line. Not before. And I draw the line there at that point, not for my sake. But I draw that line as an example to the others who are there, who may not have the same beliefs as I do, to say, 
this is what I believe. I am here with you. I am in community with you. I am, I am in relationship with you. But I am not going to do this because I feel that Christ has called me to something different. Because in that response, we are not condemning them. We are loving them. And so it brings us to a point in order to have that attitude, in order to have that freedom and that openness, we have to be willing to surrender. We have to be willing to say, I've got this wrong at times. We have to be willing to say, Christ, come, do in me what you do. Because it is our human nature to fall into that trap of dualism. It is our human nature to miss the point time and again. But if we are willing to surrender, if we are willing to sacrifice our rights and surrender to Christ, then everything else falls away. Everything else. Because the truth is, we cannot do this life at all. We're not capable. Christ is. We're going to sing one more song. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to be done. And then I'm going to go home and take a nap. And you can do whatever you're going to do. But as we sing these words, I want you to remember this thought of a life of surrender that it isn't about should we eat the meat or not, but it's about should we do this and help this person here or should we help this person here? And it's not either we help them or we help them, but it's both and. That is the reality that Christ reveals to us. That, that's love it's not writing off. And in order to do that, we have to daily surrender and give our lives to Christ. So this song is going to talk about that idea. We sang this one the first time a couple weeks ago. It's called As You Find Me. And the verse says, I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've held everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I have crumbled in the same breath. That is this life of dualism or non-dual thinking. That we can say, I've been strong. I've tried to do this on my own, but I have been broken. That is the life of surrender. So God, we come to you today with hearts that are open, with hearts that long to be changed by you. God, we know that we live in a world that can destroy 
but we also know that in that world there is still goodness that in that world there is still beauty and creation so God don't let us lose sight of the fact that there are things in the world that are made by you through Christ and that in some way these things are sacred and do not God let us desecrate those things whether we fall into the camp of toe the line or loosey goosey help us to keep our minds open help us to see the ways that you are leading us if we see something happening around us that that we think is wrong don't allow us to write that off but allow us to look at it with eyes of love and how can we come together and help God, I feel that, that for too long we as, as Christians have, have been about what we are against. God, I believe that you call us to go into the world to show what we are for. And so, God, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our dualistic thinking we surrender the ways that we have alienated people and we put all of our heart on the line because you call us to more. So God, as we go about our week, would you give us opportunities to see people in need and help them would you give us opportunities to see your creation, to see those things in the world that you have not abandoned, that you still call sacred, and allow us to see with those eyes so that we do not desecrate the things that you create. Give us hearts that are open Give us minds that are open. Give us attitudes of surrender and sacrifice so that others might see and know and understand your reality of love is not hidden if we choose to see. Help us to live in that world. Help us to live as lights of Christ to bring others into the same understanding and knowledge. God, we love you and we thank you for all the ways that you are working in our lives and all the ways that you are revealing yourself to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.